If you've still got a roll in your mouth, no problem. Just don't talk to somebody. You can uh, enjoy those, though. Kana, thanks so much for bringing those. I'm not holding her to this, but I did hear that that could be a regular occurrence. Just monthly. That's going to be a monthly occurrence. We need a standing O. Could we just rise to our feet? <laughs> oh. Not worthy. All right. All right, North Shore. We get excited about good stuff like that. Well, this is fantastic. Jesus, thank you for your word. We want to see the increase of value that we have for your word more and more and more. Come alive uh, through your word to us this morning that it would bring change, transformation into your likeness, that end goal that you've got, that we would bring glory to you in every way. Amen. We are rolling through chapter 6. It's taken us a while. The Gospel of Luke... And uh, today I want to share out of chapter 6, verse 37 through 49. We'll see how much we get through. Holy Spirit has a way of messing things up. He just likes to just do what he wants to do, and we're stuck following him. That is the best place we could be in, isn't it? So I want to share with you today on who's your daddy. Who's your daddy? You can do yo, your, whatever you want. You fill it in, whatever neighborhood you're from. You just plug it in here. Jesus has, through this time of sharing, speaking on the Beatitudes. Hi, ladies. He has been thinning crowds left and right. I like what David Flatt says in his book, Radical. You know, he says, here I'm a, a supposedly this mega church pastor following a mini church leader. Jesus was not into big crowds. He was a crowd thinner. Dennis Peacock talks about him doing his Dracula speech, drink my blood, eat my flesh, all this kind of... Not the best way to gather a following. You're gonna, people are going to start getting off the train. Well, it doesn't really get any better. But he's talking about this cost... The gift of salvation is free. We need to understand that this is not about earning something. But the cost of following Jesus is everything because we give back to Him, just as we were singing about the breath in our lungs, we give back to Him what He has given to us. He gave me life. He gave me lungs. And I give back to Him praise. I give back to Him every part of myself. That's why we have up here our mantra, our, 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 our mission, our vision, everything is centered in love God, love people. And it's not how we want to love Him. He says, love God with all of your what? Your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything that you are. And the second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's trying to communicate to everyone as he's, everybody's eavesdropping on this conversation. Some maybe 20,000 people gathered around here in uh, here overhearing this preach conversation that he's having with his disciples. And he's trying to communicate that this is an impossible thing to live out. What I'm giving you is impossible. 
If, if we could break that crowd up into sections, it would be there's this grace-only section. That's the only way that this is possible. Those of you who are still fixed on the law, who are fixed on performing, who are doing this, fixed on doing this life apart from the grace of God, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It, there's, no, there's no self-help law section in the kingdom of God. There isn't. People are not going to do well hanging with the stuff that he's rolling out from his father. So this relationship with him, he says, is the only way this is going to happen. You're going to have to follow me right on my heels. You're going to have to be able to follow me to get this. The last thing that we got to last week was Jesus is um, losing numbers rapidly with this item of love your enemies. It's going to set us up for where we're going to go today, starting in verse 37 here. But, I mean, let's, let's take this once again and let's get really real with it. Let's think about, I want you to think in your mind, I want you to see the face of the person or persons who have done you the most pain. Who have done you damage, evil, injustice, harm, stress, disowned, rejected. And Jesus commands us to love. Something completely impossible in and of ourselves. But he says, I'm going to do it through you. You can imagine this collective gasp in the crowd. Can you hear it from 2,000 years ago? Like, what the? Did he just say? I meant heck. Why is loving your enemy so pleasing to God? Why would that be such a high priority for him? He could have said a lot of different things, but love your enemy. When we choose to love, people are able to see that we truly embody the character and nature of God. The one that we have been chosen to represent. We didn't choose him, he chose, he chose us. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm, we're, Jesus was lumping everyone. Mass murderers, doesn't matter. And he has given us the ability to forgive the worst things. And I told you last week, this one freaks me out. I don't want this one tested in my life. I don't. I don't want to have to employ this type of grace. So this is, this is almost like a paternity test. You guys familiar with the paternity test? Trying to, it's a, usually a blood test to determine whether someone is the father of a particular child. Well, think of it this way. Jesus is almost saying, listen, this is, we're going to take a posterity test. So the children of the father to figure out whether or not these children belong to this father. And it's on the children to prove by how they live and the choices that they make whether or not they belong. So the world is looking, just like we read in Romans 8, the creation is longing. They're standing on, on tiptoes waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's a posterity test. Who belongs to the Father? And everybody's waiting to see. 
And when they see someone like Jeff Olmsted say no to his feelings and yes to Father, and he loves beyond any human comprehension when only, the only conclusion we can come to is this is a love that is out of this world. And it is. It's the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. Jesus is saying stuff. I'm serious. I don't want to hear it. This is not just your little Sunday school type of thing. You guys, as a people, we've been through a season here just recently. Not um, uh, oriented that or the context of, of enemy, but I'm talking about things that have been done to people, things that have been um, whatever. What are we going to do with that? And Jesus says, prove your posterity. Will we choose to look like Jesus, the patterned Son of God? Mm. He doesn't say just love them from a distance. Notice this. He says, do good to them. Actually walk it out. Maybe even initiate something. Do good to them. Let's jump into verse 37 through 42 here. Stop judging others and you will not be judged. We hear that a lot. It's probably in our culture one of the favorite Bible verses. Right? Right? People not even Christians, they're throwing this out there. Hey, don't be judging me, dog. Come on. You know, and stop criticizing others or it'll all come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. If you give, you will receive. Now, here's the pastor's favorite verse to throw out there. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over whatever measure you give, you used in giving large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. If you happen to scroll across TBN on the radio, you're likely to hear this verse used when somebody's taking an offering, right? Now, it may follow that this could have direct uh, principal effect when it comes to giving in terms of our financial giving. But that is not the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Let's read on. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. What good is it for one blind person to lead another? The first one will fall into the ditch and pull the other one down also. A student's not greater than the teacher, but the student who works hard will become like the teacher. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past this big old log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So Jesus is messing again. <sighs> so the relations, the context that we're dealing with here that Jesus is dealing with is relational and moral equity. Not financial, not money, but relational so we're going to see this great truth in tension. I remember when I was probably in junior high, I was down near Aberdeen at a Thousand Trails campsite. I was with a couple of my cousins. We had walked down to this country store to get some candy, and we were walking back. And by the time we were walking back, it was pitch black out. 
this highway totally unlit. And so any of you who have had experience like this before on an old country highway, and we're walking off to the side as far as we can, but we, when the headlights either coming toward you or coming from behind you, you can't see the ground in front of you. You can probably imagine what may have happened. Well, this road was lined with ditches. And my cousin Jared was walking in front of me, and my other cousin, I don't remember who it was, was walking behind me. And yeah, it was Jared. Bob works with Jared. You're going to need to remind him about this. But he's not here, so he's fair game. But this is the blind leading the blind. And uh, so we're walking along, and there's a car coming behind us. And it probably wouldn't make any difference because without the light, we couldn't see anything anyway. He goes over the edge into a ditch about five feet deep with water in the bottom of it. I go right off, right after him, and my cousin falls on top of me and him. So we're soaking wet, you know. We're whining because, dude, what are you doing? Why don't you watch where you're going? Well, none of us were watching where we're going. It was the blind leading the blind. And uh, so the, the question becomes, who are we following? Stupid story to help illustrate a simple thing. Who are we following? Who's instructing us? Is it Jesus? Are we following our feelings? Are we taking directions, cues from our culture? How do we live? What is your manual for life? Come on, everybody has one. Doesn't matter if you claim to be Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, whatever. You have a faith and you have a belief system. You've got a life manual for how you're going to live. Who is it? Who are you following? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Because you're proving it. You're the posterity of someone. You're the product of someone. Why does Jesus have to get so personal? Let's touch on this aspect of judging. This is a big one. This is a hot button in our world. So, is Jesus declaring judging others to be morally wrong? True story? Don't judge. Is he saying that? Think about this. If Jesus is telling people to not judge, then Jesus himself would actually be wrong. So, by declaring what is wrong, he has just made a, what? A moral judgment. Don't judge. You just did. You made a judgment. So, we can deduce from that Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying what our culture says. Hey, who who are you to judge? Yo, you know, it's like, okay. So we have this thing in our society called tolerance. It's the ultimate game changer, isn't it? As soon as they throw that out there, immediately we all shut the heck up, don't we? Because we don't want to be intolerant. This is rooted in what is known as moral relativism. It's an attempt to be free of any type of restraints of right and wrong. Like, no, I don't want to do that, so I'm going to throw the tolerance card. So the idea behind this is that all ideas are equally valid. Can we deduce that that is true based upon the life of Jesus and how he responded to people? That every 
idea or concept is equally valid. No, no. He shot down stuff left and right. He's shooting it down right now with us. Who do we think? Who are we kidding? Okay. Jesus made judgments all the time. The point is, is he said, my judgment as he's proving posterity, my judgment is legit because my judgment comes from the father. I don't do anything on my own. So who are you judging on behalf of? That's the issue. The people of that day, particularly the religious community, were the ones who were jumping all over everybody's backs and all over their cases saying, you got to do this. They're making up their own rules and regulations and they are oppressing people like crazy. Because they were, what were they doing? They were invalidating their posterity. They were invalidating their connection with God by coming up with this control system so that they could have power over people. So Jesus did not subscribe to this concept of do not judge. Jesus confronted people's belief systems. The issue was how. So he's talking about logs and specs and how do we, what causes these log jams in our lives? Anybody? Starts with a P, a big P. Okay, huge one, right? Everybody knows what that is. Yeah, it totally blinds us from being able to see the, um, the funk in our own face. It's like you've got this huge mask on and we're trying to help somebody else get free. Give me a break. It's not going to happen because we're judging them. And really what it comes down to is a condemnation. So Jesus was addressing the hypocrisy of those who are holding others to a standard that they're not willing to live to themselves. I'm going to treat you one way, but don't expect me to live the same way. Jesus like, that's not how things work because my father is actually really different. And we saw this back in verse 36. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. He says, you will, if you will love your enemies, lend to them, you'll be acting as children of the most high posterity test for he is kind to the unthankful and to those who are wicked. He's turning the whole thing on end because these people, especially church folk, have been brutal toward other people, heaping condemnation on them and doing the same thing themselves. So the issue is our representation. So if someone says to you, don't judge, how do you respond? Respond with a question. Why not? Why not? In a gentle, respectful way, but why not? Well, the typical response is because you shouldn't push your morals on other people. How come? Didn't you just do that to me? Don't push your morals on other people. You just judged me. You just pushed your moral agenda on me. Again, in a kind way, but let's, let's open up some eyes. Let's remove some logs. Let's help some people out. Don't leave them in the place that they're at, but we can't play with those games. If, if, it, if rational human beings cannot judge, then who should? Animals? Nope. Dogs and cats I've had are stupid. Sorry. Sorry. Bob, I was just at Bob's house. 
You have smart dogs. No, I don't know if you do or not. <laughs> you have cool dogs, that's for sure. Oh, I was jealous. He's got two German shepherds, super cool. You guys need to go out to Bob and Jen sometime. We need to have a big party out there is what we need to do once we get the place going. They've got a big swimming hole, and i got all kinds of plans for their place. Oh. This control thing, this condemning thing, it's going to do the opposite effect of what we hope it to do, which is to bring conviction clean. So that's what Jesus was able to do. He didn't bring condemnation for people where they came under this weight. His conviction helped set people free. I can tend to be pretty critical. My kids have helped point this out from time to time. Uh, I can be fault-finding, looking at flaws, failures, weaknesses, and faithful to point those things out. I'm just wanting to help you with my own life because so, I know that that's not the case with you all. There's a tension because we must correct, we must direct, but we can end up doing what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Fathers, don't exasperate or aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged. See, it hits because I want to I want to prove my posterity. I want to be a son and I want to be like Jesus. But it says that if you do, they'll become discouraged and they'll quit trying. Oh, you hate to see that when the, what you bring to your son or your daughter makes them quit trying. It's like you see this like, ah, oh, they just throw their hands in the air and it's like, I can't please you. And I know in my heart that I'm not representing Father because He is fully pleased with them. The unthankful, the selfish, the wicked. Well, I think that includes my kids too. And me. There's a way for us to judge that is done in a helpful way, not in a destructive way. You know, to be able to come to one another, we have to do this in, our, in the context of community and the church, the body of Christ, being able to say, you know, I love you, God loves you, but I see some things in your life that God wants to help you get free of. Can we do that? I think from the context maybe that we've come from, somewhat we can be gun shy. We can shy away from bringing things to people. Hey, in love, in love, Jesus brought some heavy stuff like he's doing with us. And I need to wrap up here. Oh, God, you're so good to help us see. So these comments that Jesus are making, this is a prophetic statement. He's, he's trying to foreshadow what's coming. He was preparing to do what he's talking about. Love your enemies. He was about to go and do this on the cross. He was about to die for us. 
But you know what? We have a different standard for ourselves than we do for others. We've got a double standard. Like God, we must judge and we must forgive. We must judge, not condemn, but we must forgive. In fact, if we cannot forgive, we haven't even judged. Because how do you forgive something that you haven't made a judgment about? This was right, this was wrong. Our goal is to be like Jesus. Do you desire mercy? You better give mercy. Do you desire forgiveness? You better give forgiveness because it's going to be shaken together and it's coming back. Do you desire compassion? Give compassion to one another. And he, he picks it up first with the enemy. Dang. Our view of God determines our treatment of others. You know, so when I treat my family or friends or different ones, you know, when I treat them in a certain way, I have to question, I got to go, what is my view of God? If we believe God's angry, unmerciful, unloving, unforgiving, and harsh, we will usually treat others in this way too. This is a big one in the Trout House. If we expect someone to change, first be willing to change yourself. Conflict resolution, we're never going get to away with, get away from it, are we? But if I'm, if I'm looking for change in somebody else, I'm saying, hey, and I'm demanding this. We've got to be willing to change ourselves. Marriages don't work without that. Without, without an ingredient, parent-child um, relationships don't work. Friendships don't work. If we're not willing to change ourselves first, then forget asking anybody else to make any changes. Be the change that you hope to have in someone else. We poison ourselves with unforgiveness, but we open the doorway to personal freedom through forgiveness. Mm. The other scriptures, real quick, I'm just going to hit them and then I'll end with one. But a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by the kind of fruit that it produces. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. I didn't mean to do that. I'm pretty sure that just came out of your heart because it came out of your mouth. So we need to stop trying to pass the buck by saying that's not what I intended to do and take responsibility for what we've actually done. That's where we get, again, freedom is going to come. Then he hits on foundations here. So why do you call me Lord when you don't obey me? Why do you call me Lord when you don't obey me? Why do you call me Father, but you don't represent me? You, it's, it's weird because you don't, you don't look like me. You, what's coming out of your mouth doesn't represent me. 
It's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, then obeys me. It's like a person who builds a house on a strong foundation. A person who doesn't has got a weak foundation. It's like they've been building on the sand. When the storms of life come, which they do come, don't they? Anybody say amen. They come. They come. And they keep coming. What's your foundation? Our preparation, or excuse me, our foundation determines our destination. In this life and in the life to come, our foundation, is it Jesus, the rock, the one that doesn't move? The one, the rock, that's held martyrs in the face of losing their life and being tortured for Jesus, has held them in that place. It's held marriages together. It's held child-parent relationships together because Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation upon which it's built. It holds churches together because Jesus is the whole reason they're there. It's not, they're not there to please people and do whatever. They're there because Jesus... They build on the building code of Christ in His Word. Those storms will come. I want to end with this scripture. It just rocks. Psalm 103. Why don't you stand with me as we close here. I love this passage and I just wanted to go in. I just invite you, just if you want to, close your eyes and just soak this one up. And we'll conclude with this. Thanks for being patient and letting us run over a little bit here today. Psalm 103, 8 through 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Let's say that again. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to get angry and full, full of unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. Praise God. He has not punished us for all of our sins. What? I got off the hook on some of those? He has not punished us for all our sins. Trout kids, don't ever try and use that with dad, okay? Nor does he deal with us as we deserve. This is Old Testament, folks. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our rebellious acts as far away from the east as from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he understands how weak they are. But he said, I resemble that comment. For he understands how weak we are. He knows we are only dust. He is compassionate. His love is unfailing. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who do you represent? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing it strong. We don't hold back on us. We want to become who you have called us to be as your people. Amen. Bless you. Have a wonderful day. I'm having a good one. We'll see you guys tonight at 5 o'clock at Kirkland.